0: everybody welcome back to the edge and flow podcast it's me tj schwartz i'm here with lucas burnley my co-host i want to kind of interrogate you today i want to talk about (laughs) brand building i want to interview you uh i really i really kind of want to kind of want to learn where your head's at in that regard but i guess maybe first let's just touch base real quick on what we've been up to this week a little recap sounds
1: good yeah we haven't talked since last week pretty much Mm -hmm. um Uh, A couple things. I decided I really needed a break from businessy business stuff and decided Mm -hmm. to make like a big old honking eight inch fixed blade. Um, and I've been thoroughly enjoying that. The one with the big fuller. Yeah. So I have three, I have three blanks that I cut out a long time ago. And I think the, the project around them is going to be, I'm going to do three different types of fullers. Um, kind of try to come up with a few different like aesthetics. Um, just having fun.
0: Yeah, I love dude.
1: making big knives. Looks like fun. Dude. I will be sending in my design shortly to short yeah. knives. <laughs> <All> right, <there laughs> go. Uh, and then the other thing, I guess that's taken up a lot of time is um, Burnley brand is doing a collaboration with good art Hollywood um, who is a very rad. I like almost hesitate them, call them like a jewelry company just because the, like how broad the, like the design level they do is and like the products, So they, they, they use this term like um, luxury EDC Mm -hmm. and that is like very much on brand. So we dropped a, we dropped a little teaser 25 piece sprint run of a new ring that we're working on.
0: Oh yeah. Um, I did not see that. So I'll have to look at it. It's like on good arts, Instagram and stuff.
1: Uh, It's, it's not, we, we did, we basically did it inside of the, the Burnley like collectors club, the brawler club. Mm, And we just released 25 pieces soul, uh, basically like in a few sizes, Mm -hmm. um, rings are really hard because it's such like a preferential size thing. Um, so basically let everyone get a chance in there. And then I threw the link in my main Facebook group and gave Mm -hmm. those guys a shot, but we're basically, we wanted to just like dial in production and do these have like a little bit of a different, like maker's mark on the inside. They're called they're, they're marked with AR. So it's like advanced release. So kind of, kind of fun um, if mm-hmm. you're of the collector mindset mm-hmm. and then, but we're getting ready to launch like a real
0: pre-order with real sizes. Well, you're all over the types of things that I want to ask you about later <laughs> in this episode. Was, <laughs> right. I was, I put like <laughs> three bookmarks in my brain on what you were just saying. So we'll, we'll dig right. into that. Uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a weird week kind of oh. spinning around. Uh, it was my son's first birthday. And oh, so that man. was good I earlier, earlier in the week. So happy about that and uh towards the end of the week zach in the wild zach whitmore uh who you may know from previous blade hq di- uh days on youtube you oh, know i like now, both now. those guys zach and jamie yeah. and jamie greger Dude, who's so who's good. the the editor and filming guy They're, they've got their sweet youtube channel zach in the wild and yeah he was just he was doing some big loop filming with you know, I, I don't even know all the people he's visiting, but it sounded like a big, like maybe even more than a week, big trip. Oh, wow. Um, so he came. Yeah, just coincidentally, he realized he was coming by the shop near me. So he stopped in. We did a little filming and stuff. Got to catch up with them. So that was awesome. Nice. And then uh did stone some blades today. So today was the actual day in the shop day. Uh Got a design finished and submitted this week. Ooh. But. I was at the tail end so pretty much just kind of finalizing it and submitting it this week and then just tax stuff it's that time of year. Dude we're getting ready to do it. Yeah.
1: I'm not looking forward.
0: Yeah I sat down with my CPA and talking about uh, converting to the S-corp like I mentioned and so trying to get this year's taxes all set up while it's still early in the year. Escort's going to be a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it definitely. Seems nice. Like it.
1: Yeah. Little, little mix, little mix. Yeah. I don't know why, man. Yeah. It feels this week has felt like. Like started out pretty good. I, like when we jumped on, like I went out to the shop this morning, I was like, I'm going to finish this handle and it's like all hand shaped everything. Um, and like within 10 minutes, I got my first phone call yeah. and my day basically just like spiraled into oh, my so mode. fast. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm getting better about protecting my time. Mm -hmm. But like, like this week, there was a bunch of days where I didn't answer the phone or like schedule anything before one or 2 PM.
0: Yeah. It makes, it makes sense. Like I was, I was calling to talk to a machine shop, helping another guy out and the owner of the company who still runs the machines, I I know him pretty well. And the, the gal at the front desk who answered the phone, I could tell like how well Mm -hmm. she was trained to be like, get all the info before she even considers bringing Mm -hmm. it up to the owner. And I'm like, that would be nice to have. <laughs> well, that's
1: the thing. Like at our scale, we need to be our own gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Once you once you scale past that, it's like easier to yeah. to start to create a little separation. You yeah. need a password.
0: Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's a secret <laughs> handshake for the yeah, talk secret me. Yeah. That's funny. Cool. But but yeah, man. So I. I'm excited about this episode. It kind of occurred to me because we've, we've been in such a conversational mindset all the mm-hmm. time with this and just kind of back and forth, but that there's, you know, some topics that I, I strictly just want to learn from you about. And I think kind of defining this as like me interviewing you in a way kind of tease it up. So,
1: well, thanks for having me on your podcast. Oh yeah. Uh long time well, listener, first time interviewee.
0: Took me, you know, a lot a lot of emails to to get a hold of you and then finally glad to have you here.
1: Yeah. The gatekeepers. And yeah, all. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm psyched. Um, I, since you had like brought this up last week, I was thinking about it. I was like, man, maybe I should like write down like some of my like thoughts around like, like branding and brand building and like all this. And I was like, no, so much of it has been organic and like intuition based that I actually felt that having to like answer some questions and stuff on the fly would be beneficial for me because I don't know that I have answers mm-hmm. for a lot of things. Right. Um, and then also, uh, maybe more interesting. So that's my
0: plan. Yeah. I know nothing. Yeah. Well, let's get to it. Let's I, it. I wanted to do a quick intro on, uh, what I, what, what I view your skills to be just to set the platform. So like Ooh, okay. I, I, I <laughs> I think most people would agree or a lot of people in the industry would agree that you you possibly are like one of the best brand building, brand managing individuals in the entire industry. I, mm-hmm. I believe that. And I think I, I'm not alone in thinking that. And uh, that's why I'm excited for this conversation. You've got, you know, multiple brands you're doing. You're always helping brands that you're working with. You design for companies. You're always giving a lot of designers, you know, they're just given design input. But I know uh, with your inner workings with a lot of these companies, like you're helping on the branding side too. Mm -hmm. And it's just a big part of what you do. Um, and so anybody listening to this, there's a good chance they already know that, but if you didn't, that's, that's, that's why I'm asking you these questions. But, uh, but first things first, I guess, tell me about in the, would you say that like you're, the way that you managed your brand at, it seems like a piece of the, like if there's a pie chart of all the things you focus on, like brand management is a bigger piece of the pie than what most makers would have for you. Has it yeah, always been that yeah, way? I
1: would agree with that. Um, and this would have to go back before I had the concept of brand. Mm-hmm. Cause there, there was a lot of years of knife making where that hadn't come really come in yet. Like you think of reputation, you think of your name, You think of your company, but those things do not necessarily equal being a brand, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think, man, I think it's like pretty holistic. Even just that little like segue got me like off. What was the, what was like the, the root of the question? Well, it just
0: seems like if you were to look at your time as a pie chart, it's such a big part maybe of what you're doing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So the... Ooh. Yeah. Even early on. I mean, you have to think like I came into the industry when forums were just absolutely popping. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is like not pre-Facebook, but pre-Facebook for like small group collectors and like every, you know, user group is in Facebook. Um And so, yeah, I think that from that point, like from there, it's like just like thinking about like, Hey, I want to do t-shirts. Like, why do you want to do a t-shirt? You're like you're a knife maker. Well, t-shirts are cool. It's advertising, but it's like, it's just a, a different level of, um, uh, connection point for a customer. Mm-hmm. So I think those, like those moments were, where like the concept of brand for me really started to form. Like I can create past like the, the like, um, I'm searching for the word, but like uh like the primary or like iconic products yeah. I'm making. Yeah,
0: like the physical part of it. Like the physical
1: part, there's an ex- there's something past that yeah. that creates value for both you and your customer that can scale past like what you're yeah. doing, what that like core product.
0: Well, from the outside looking in, it's like when you do when you design something or you're doing a project, there's like the physical form of that thing but right. it looks like that's just a piece of it. And, yes. and, and it seems more clear when you do that than it seems when some, you know, like when I do that or when lots of people do that, like it seems like that people like me are very, very product focused. Mm-hmm. And that's something why I want to learn from you is like, there's all these other layers that it seems like you're thinking about from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I think this is, this is kind of a scale. Right. So you have, on one hand, you have someone who is completely product focused. They don't care about building a brand. They don't care about visibility necessarily. Like they want to build the product. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's different levels inside of that as far as like where the attachment point is. Like some, for some people, it's a finished product. For some people, it's the process. Mm-hmm. Right. Some of the absolutely most talented, like gifted makers, builders, Etc. are some of the ones who focus on branding the least. Mm -hmm. I hesitate to say like the worst at the worst at branding because I don't even think it's, yeah, it's I, they're, they're the least concerned with it. Yeah. From a purely business standpoint, like I always think like, man, I would love to see this person be able to like hype themselves a little Mm -hmm. bit more because Mm -hmm. I think it brings value to them. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, And then on the other side, you have brands that are all brand, okay? That is where they focus heavily on story. So the story can create a lot of interest around a product. I like to think that I like reside somewhere in the middle, Mm -hmm. right? Because my product, the way that I work and what I build is super, super important to me. But I also feel that telling the story... And letting people like inside mm-hmm. is equally important from, from the standpoint of like, it's really hard it, because it's, it's not
0: like a hollow shell of marketing. No. Yeah. yeah it's not no, a hollow shell. It's
1: not marketing. And that's the thing yeah. Like people be like, Oh, you're like good at marketing. I'm like, I actually don't think I'm good at marketing. Like, you know, there's a lot of areas where I think that organic kind of nature of it has, has almost presented something different than the way i've done it which is really strange mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right
0: well so y- yeah you talked about you mentioned the word or the words attachment point can yeah. you like elaborate or define that
1: yeah absolutely um there's different ways different ways i looking at this but like okay if you look at a custom knife my goal when i would do shows is to like this, I think this, this concept starts to like separate from like the pure tool base or like function-based concept, right? So you pick up a pocket knife, like my goal at a show, if someone picks up a pocket knife on my table is like, they look at it from one angle and then they start to like rotate it and they're like, oh, that's cool. What is that? And then they like rotate a little more and they're like, oh yeah, I'm like, check that thing out. Mm-hmm. And by the time they're done, they've actually been looking at it for like three minutes. Those are attachment points. Mm-hmm. So that works on a physical product and it works on a brand, right? So the other way that I look at attachment points is you have to be able to let people attach to your brand. If you make a very exclusive product, either through pricing or availability or any other metric, you reduce the amount of people that can actually connect with your brand. hmm they just don't have an int. They don't have an entry point Yeah. by allowing the brand concept to reach past that core product line. You're allowing people to engage like at their own level. Right. You know, like, yeah. Hey, I don't have, I don't have $2,000 to buy this custom. Yeah. But I, that, that they were they doing like such nice work. I'm definitely buying a baseball cap.
0: Yeah. And
1: mm-hmm. like, when you look, I mean, how many people you think have like, you know, something from Harley Davidson or like Porsche or, you know, Ferrari or whatever it is, or like a sports team there, it's a connect. Those are, those are attachment points.
0: Oh yeah. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I like that. I like how it, it, it's like you're building a pyramid in, in a sense totally. instead of just like something so aspirational, but like behind closed doors that it's a turn off for anybody who's not in the room, you know, right. so to speak. Yeah, that's very interesting.
1: We always use the term like I, I say, uh, inclusive exclusivity. Yeah, I like that. Okay, the, and the reason is like, yeah, I want to, I want to be an exclusive product. I want to be a like a premium kind of. Uh, I don't, know, I don't know. Maybe premium is not even the right word. Uh, it's not luxury either. There's a level there where it's like I, I do, I want to be, I want to be in demand but I don't want to be so exclusive that it's like limited to a few.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Or like exclusive to the point of exclusion. And that is, there's all these word plays that like, when you really kind of get into the root of what they mean, I think you have to be really careful of how you attach them to your brand
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because I want an inclusive brand. Yeah. And when I say inclusive, I mean that like very broad spectrum. Yeah. But it's easy to like dial it down into like, Oh yeah, I want like people with different like uh financial capabilities to be able to like engage with the brand.
0: So would you right. say that's an incentive for you to design for like these more mass market brands? Absolutely. Like CRKTs of the world. Yeah. So yeah.
1: interestingly enough, the the factory collaboration for the maker, when I started doing those, was probably like I had probably started to play with like the concept of Burnley brand, but I saw those projects as a way to build personal brand recognition. So at this point, kind of everybody, like I think people have a much more open view of like you as a brand, right? Like Mm -hmm. you, you, the maker, you, the artist, you, the creative Mm -hmm. as a brand, regardless of whether you, you are fitting in like a standard, like concept of what a brand or what most people think of a brand is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So even to this point today, I look at factory collaboration as more of like individual branding and, and having less to do with like our brand.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like you're the, you're the face that is uh, like sort of encapsulated in the Burnley brand. And by having, you know, products with CRKT and the exposure gained from that, it's like, it's like, it's not directly pointing towards Burnley brand, but it's pointing towards you and you are associated with Burnley brand in a sense, like you're the glue between them.
1: Yeah. And the reality is, I don't know if there's that much kind of differentiation Mm -hmm. Um, and an ideal scenario is that all of that visibility is like circular. Mm -hmm. So almost like the attachment theory. I want people that come into the brand from any given point to eventually rotate through the other kind of levels. Mm -hmm. Ideal scenario for me is like someone buys a squid from CRKT for $20 or $30, you know, and on Amazon or at, you know, sportsman's warehouse or something and sees the name and like tracks it down and like finds our Facebook group Mm -hmm. and then ends up being interested in something.
0: Or at the very least associates that design in their head. And then they see you like on Instagram or something and they're like, Oh, I have that knife. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cause we're in a really unique period of time, which is information is available, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, even, even like, early days, like forums, like you could find this stuff. And like the big names were big names, but the accessibility was completely different. Like Mm -hmm. not to like fully date myself. And and I don't even see this as a negative. It's just like purely a situational thing. But like, I think there's a lot of makers that like don't actually understand what a boon like social media truly Mm -hmm. is from an availability standpoint. Like, because I look at like where I came in, we had computers and you could go in a chat room not too far before that, like you were sending letters for techniques, and you were going to knife shows and looking at knife magazines to find makers,
0: putting ads out and what. Putting ads yeah. out, you're not yeah. dropping
1: a photo from your, you know, your pocket computer mm-hmm. onto the interwebs and having you know ten thousand people see it.
0: Yeah, it is so a would different you? Game. Would you say that transition has changed how you view your brand, or is the brand? Do you, do you feel like the brand transcends that technology? Does that make sense? Uh,
1: no, it doesn't transcend it. I think it's I think it's partially a product of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, as well as, I mean, com- not fueled completely by it, but but to to say like I would have the same brand without social media is like absolute trash. It just wouldn't it wouldn't be possible. Right.
0: It'd be a different. Um, different. Yeah. Some plan. of this
1: stuff like. From a standpoint, because I realize we're going to get like probably pretty far into the weeds with this. If anyone is really curious about something you can read on brand building that, that like almost identically parallels my philosophy, um, there is a book by Bobby Kim, um, who has a brand called The Hundreds, which is a streetwear company, and it's called This Is Not a T shirt. Mm. Um, and I read it and I like, man, like not to sound corny, but I like goosebumps at like certain points because he started his business the same year I started mine mm. and reading it was like reading a journal from like myself in apparel universe, a universe where like I started doing clothing instead of making knives. Yeah. Super
0: good. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because when I think of your brand building, that is what I immediately think of is like the streetwear scene yep. that I, I, subconsciously connected those just yep. based on like the feel yep. and I think yeah, that's accurate one thing that I've thought of is with your brand is like there's a lot of different ways to do a brand obviously but it seems like the way you've done it it's like you've sown a cool factor into it because there's some brands that they don't really have the cool factor but they're seen as like functional or they're seen as right. like useful or inexpensive or whatever but it's like there's like a swagger, cool factor right. that, that you've sewn into it. That really reminds me of like the streetwear thing.
1: Right. Well, Which, and that, was that, that com- intentional? Yeah. In, it's hard to say intentional cause it's not like intentional, not, not from like a strategic standpoint. Yeah. Did I look and say, Hey, I need this cool factor. So I think there's like a, there's like a couple uh, concepts around branding that are really important to keep, in, in focus, which is like one is just authenticity. Like people know, I think a lot of times if you're faking it Mm, and so chasing fads or chasing trends because you see something is like a really good way just to like fail. Yeah. So the other component of that is that I feel the best brands are the brands that like you belong to or are part of. So like my brand in a way is like an amalgamation of all of my interests. And since my interests are broad, the scope of what I think of as brands is broad. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people, like when you're talking about like say in the knife industry, I just think it's, I think that brands are being built inside of a culture where they, it's like a more functional trying to think of like how to put this together, you know, like it's almost like tool brands or like, like a hunting company or something. And, and this stuff is starting to change now too. Right. Because mm-hmm. you're having like younger company owners that are interested in like broad spectrum, have broad spectrum interests. Mm-hmm. But for a while it was like, yeah, it's like, okay, this is like, a, like we make hunting knives. I'm like, this is our hunting knife aesthetic. Yeah. And like, they're not yeah. worried about seeming cool, mm-hmm. nor should they be. Right. But, I think for people coming into this, the industry to try and follow in those footsteps, because you think that that's like how knife brands or like EDC brands are run. I think that is a, that's a huge trap. Like we always used to joke about shot show. It's like you have two aesthetics. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have like uh distress dystopian and you have like wood. Yeah. Those, those are like the two things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So I think that, that trying to like, do you have, a, do you have a vintage American flag or do you have like a war torn, tattered radical flag?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like when you've got like the Remington double barrel that's engraved with yeah. a pheasant and gold inlaid on it. And then you've yeah. got the M4 carbine fully decked yeah. out the suppressor. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's yeah. like, it's just is, so is there room like you look at the firearms industry, is there room for that to change? Like it is changing now but it's because you've got like these super talented gunsmiths and stuff that are like, yeah, actually I'm like, also a skateboarder. and like, mm-hmm. this is the aesthetic that I like, mm-hmm. you know?
0: So, so let me ask you this. Like your the way you set your brand up is very obviously like human focused. And what totally. I mean by that is like you, you do your family. It's like obviously a family business. If you yep. follow any of your accounts, it's obviously you, like you're obviously a real person. You know, this podcast is kind of an example of that. <laughs> that's not the only way there's brands that there is no person person. If that makes sense. When you set out, you made Burnley knives, Burnley brand. Yeah. You could have done like, you know, New Mexico knife works or whatever. What can you talk about that and how intentional or or accidental that was? Um,
1: Totally accidental on that standpoint. Like when I started making knives for the most part, like you made knives under your name. There were people and brands who had a, a, a name mm-hmm. for their knives, you know. Um you like Jeeps, like oddly enough, at one point I thought like I was like, oh, I'll call it Rubicon knives, like Cross the Rubicon, it sounds rad. And I like this is like before I had made a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just ended with like, oh, it's my name. I'm mm-hmm. gonna sign it's because you're at the point, especially like where you start making knives, you're signing, you're signing something that you made, and that feels that feels authentic. Mm -hmm. I made this thing. I'm going to sign it.
0: Yeah. So as an
1: entry point, that kind of informed the business, right? starts to move forward. And as far as like the access starting out at that point, like you're inner, you're interacting with people at shows, you're interacting with people online. And as my family grew and my business grew, there was never a point where i was like oh i'm going to separate my family from the business and it was never an act of like oh i'm going to use my family as an asset mm-hmm. to like make my business look human
0: right right yeah right? It's, it's it's not it's not artificial which is kind of to your previous point it's right. it's like just authenticity that can be interpreted however yeah. you people want yeah yeah
1: and it i mean the access I, I, I really think that that's what makes the knife industry in general pretty interesting is that you have, we've talked about this before, like your level of access to whatever level of mover and shaker you want to find is, is pretty flexible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you go to blade show, you can talk to almost anybody in the industry from mm-hmm. whoever owns a company to your favorite maker to, you know, people you don't know i mean it's just yeah. it's broad spectrum
0: yeah yeah for sure so would you say because it seems to me like it's rare like it's you see it pretty common in the knife industry that it's like a name because you know i'm schwartz knives right. you're burnley brand burnley right. knives it seems like it's that's a rarer thing to see with a huge company like if, if you're targeting totally. you know multi-million international you know like think of all your big brands you got your like leathermans and your yeah. Benchmades, it's like yep. there's a, a name and a face that it could yep. have been associated with that. Yep. Do you think that that when you get to a size like that, there's a different approach? Uh
1: well, or you gotta is- think though, like some of those brands didn't start out at that size. Like yeah. Benchmade started with Les Diassis, and mm-hmm. he could have made the decision to just have it under his name. Mm-hmm. I actually suspect that a lot of times people who are starting businesses might have like a clear inclination of maybe where they want to take it. Yeah. And I think that folks that are more like corporate minded, that just might be how they set it up.
0: Yeah. It's almost like a, not in a, in a not negative way. It's almost like a hundred percent. Fake it till you make it. It's it's like in the best way you can use that term, like fake it till you make it. It's like, I'm going to, kind of like project what I want this to be starting from the beginning and I want it to look like a corporation from the very beginning. Yeah. That's, that's what I was curious about because you know, your brand, you look at it and it it doesn't seem corporate for better or worse. Like there's, can you, can you think of any cons to that?
1: Uh, I, I would say the only con that I feel sometimes is our visibility at this point is actually bigger than our brand. It's me and Maddie. Like it's me and my wife running this small brand. And sometimes people will interact with us and like you can tell that they just think we're like a mass production knife company or like, you know, our shipping department should be like, you know, Blade HQ or, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, like, mm-hmm. like top level. And we realize like, oh, man, we just had a sick kid and like our mail day is a day late. like yeah, Right. So that. Like, and if you, if you dig around, like if you go on our website, like there's, it kind of, we never try to look like a bigger brand that, that we are, Mm -hmm. but like, we've been really fortunate just to have a lot of visibility, I think in our industry. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, that's kind of a downside.
0: Would you, would you say that it is, it's like, if you're overly polished, it can kind of dehumanize the brand. But if you're under polished and you're a corporation, it can be seen as like Bush league, like You're, you're not, not, not a lot.
1: It's, it's crazy because like a lot of times I feel like the bigger, the brand, the worse, the branding, because I think a lot of people, they don't feel that it matters. And I think culturally, like what brand is means different things to different people. Um, and that, that's like, we can get into that a little bit too. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and also like reasons for branding, like, just, just in general, like I will, when I look at what we've done, like I always say it like starts it's community first. So like our community allows me to do what I want for a living. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not, if I'm not like accountable to them on some level, like what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Like they're giving me so much like freedom, and like trust that, that I have to view things through the lens of like, all right, like community is actually the, like the first pillar of branding
0: for me. Build uh, that's, your community. That's a, that's a good, it's a good thought. So yeah, I, one way I've heard that phrased is like, you're better off having a thousand, you may have said it, you're better off having like a thousand really good customers that you take care of them. They take care of you. Then you yep. are having a million kind of passive customers. Yep. Yeah.
1: Uh, th- I think that's like a pretty old concept. Like I'm, yeah. I'm sure like Timothy Ferris has talked about that. It's yeah. like basically the idea that at a point that you have a thousand. <sighs> the different ways of looking at it, like, I call, I like true believers, right? Like at the point that you have a thousand people who believe in your brand or your, whatever you make and want to support you and like what you're doing, like that is actually like, you have a business. Mm-hmm right? Then it's scaling. And I think we like, we've never advertised. We actually just did like our first little advertising push, um, with Raven, the pirate, um, who is like, again, like I pretty much only work with friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And so Sam's a friend, Mm -hmm. but when I look back, I'm like, I basically made it 20 years without ever paying for an ad.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's you. what you have is word of mouth. You know, that's, that's, I'm sure. Would you, would you agree that that's like your main mode of advertising over 20 years?
1: Yeah. And, and I think it fits, like, I have always been reticent to scale. Like, is that the right word? Reticent? Yeah, Yeah. It feels right. Yeah, I think filter,
0: so, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Close enough either way. Yeah.
1: Like the goal has always been to stay as small as possible, but as big as we need to be. Like mm-hmm. what that means changes over time, and it like it might be changing again for me. But but ultimately, like I've never growth has never been the the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the original question you asked?
0: Uh. You no. Know, Honestly, I I was enjoying what you were saying, and yeah, okay. I think Um, you answered it. Okay, (laughs) no, uh, I I I also wanted to to dig into so with with your branding, like this the size you just meant you just touched on like the growth and the size. Whether you you know you're not targeting like you said a corporation of of massive scale, yeah, and it doesn't seem like you're making moves to attempt that or anything like that. What would what's your reasoning? Like, give me your thoughts on what the value of your size, I guess, is.
1: I actually, right now, I don't know that there is much value in our current size because I, I I truly feel we're kind of in a limbo. Um, we are, we will struggle with small brand problems and big brand problems. Mm -hmm. At this point, like I look at it, I'm like, wow, we have way more demand than like the items I can produce. But our revenue and time is still probably lower than it would need to be if I wanted to start to scale. And so you're like, oh, you could take on an investor. Well, I don't want to take on an investor. Mm -hmm. So it's like these, Mm -hmm. it's like these mid-level problems where you kind of, you just are kind of in like a little bit of a limbo, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, if I could, if I could throw in another $500,000 and get certain types of projects rolling it would probably change the brand moving forward, mm-hmm. but I have no desire to do that. Yeah. It's um, like,
0: it's like you hear about businesses who, that grow generally have like a couple of squeeze points. Yep. And it's like, you hear them, some books and, you know, articles go really into defining these squeeze points. Yep. And that's kind of, it sounds like what you're talking about. Cause I guess one of the squeeze points for you that is compounded with that is like, you're on the verge of either having employees or not. You've yep. had a couple, like yep. that's a squeeze point of like getting yep. past the first couple of employees.
1: Yep. Yeah. So that was the first real squeeze point I, that, that, oh man, that was like a difficult squeeze point because before it's like, oh, I need help. So you get an employee and -hmm. then you get two. so we made it to Maddie, myself and two full-time employees. And at that point, what happened was I became middle management, which in no way is where I am suited to be, uh, but couldn't get past the point of figuring out how to hire. Yeah. Someone who could be middle manager.
0: And that's the squeeze point right there.
1: That's the squeeze point because I needed a gatekeeper. All of a sudden, all of my time was now manager, not maker, not designer, not, uh, you know, like brand, like oversight or anything else, Mm -hmm. you know, creative Mm -hmm. director or anything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, squeeze points. Um, And then on the flip side of this, we're small enough. That because of the scale of the business, we run into problems with that too, where it's like, I told you today, I'm like, my whole day got blown out with calls around things that relate to the brand. Mm -hmm. When what I had intended to do was sit down and make a knife. Yeah. I don't have someone, I don't have an on-staff graphic designer who can have that conversation or someone who is in, you know, fulfillment or someone who is in like ordering to like handle this stuff. It's like, oh man, I need to do more side pops. I have to order material. None of this stuff on its own is a problem. It's when everything scales to a certain point that you're like, yeah, you throw like one little stick in the spokes and you you eat it, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. So it, it seems to me like the size of your brand, it, I mean, tell me if this rings true to you. It's like, You see, I mean, Facebook comments are Facebook comments, but it's one, one little gauge. It's like the way people interact and respond on social media to like a big corporation is like they have a sensation. They're not talking to a human being, Yep. but it's like your brand is small enough that if you read your comments, it's like they're talking to you. Yes. Is that part, something you wish to retain? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I guess in a way the feeling feeling like the company is accessible to people is important to me. What's, what's really funny is like, so Maddie basically manages like the Burnley brand Instagram. Mm -hmm. Some people know this, but like most people just still respond with like, Hey bro, like they just make the assumption that it's me everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think with, I think with scale, it's like, it's like you talking about the the machine shop and the owner and like the, you know, secretary, like blocking for him. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a point where not everybody needs access.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess, let me make sure I clear that up that I'm sure. not talking about like people, all these people being able to access you. No, what no, I mean but is like it, like, it looks like you're a person right. and you could get based on the style of your branding and the size of your company yeah. to where they, they just by default assume they're not talking to To Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I think probably our goal would actually be to move towards that a little bit for Burnley brand. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why like originally like, like, I would, I would kind of do Burnley knives and Burnley brand stuff under my main feed. But what we realized was it didn't give, no one else would be able to post under my feed because it's my voice. mm -hmm. And so Burnley brand like Instagram is essentially Maddie's voice and my voice. Mm -hmm. Either one of us can go in there and post by extension. If we ever had someone who could help with social media, they would also be able to go in there and post. And so Mm -hmm. I think that that maybe ties into like kind of a tenant of branding, which is like at the point that you are building brand, I think it's worthwhile having an idea Or like an oversight on scale Mm -hmm. because you can't, you can scale a bad system, but like scaling a bad system is not a, a way to like fix problems. Right. Right. But if you can build in like resiliency, redundancy, and flexibility at the base level, that I think really carries through like as you start to grow as a brand.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure, and it when I look at your brand and I see like like I said how you can easily anthropomorphize Burnley brand. It's like a he, it's like a human being. It's like yep. a, a real thing. And I I look at some of the most successful brands on the large world stage. You know, you look at like the Teslas, the Ma, the the Apples. You've got yes. like the Steve Jobs types. You got the Elon Musk types. Like if they if there wasn't that human image when you look at a brand, maybe that would have been problematic in their growth. Yeah. So it seems like that's, you're onto something there. Would you say though, that like I kind of already asked this question, but I guess, would, would you say like, is there a reason not to do that? You know what I mean? Like,
1: I I think this, or is there a point where you should
0: like pull in?
1: I think it depends on you. Yeah. So are you front of the house or back of the house? Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of people that don't want to be the front person, you know, of a brand Mm -hmm. where I realized that if my brand were to scale and I had all the help I needed and all the infrastructure, I would essentially want to move into the position of creative director and still be the front man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because that that's like, that to me is like the kind of the fun part of it. And it's, it's where I feel a lot of the value that I provide yeah. or like my, my, where my personally felt skill set like resides well.
0: Yeah. Right. And it, and I, I do tend to agree that it's like you, a brand has to have a human face. Yeah. Somewhere. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's great.
1: And it can be the, the beauty of it is like, it can be different types of human faces and that, attracts a different audience or different personality, I guess would be Mm -hmm. like the easiest way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you could be like, you know, super quiet genius, you know, mechanical engineer type that doesn't want to talk to anybody. And you're still, you can still be like the front man Mm -hmm. of a brand.
0: I mean, you look at Elon Musk, like he's just, yeah, he's not the charismatic type, but he's, he's got a high, he's
1: like a hybrid though. Yeah. Because he's also not shy. Yeah. And he likes to kind of get into it. Um, I've spent like a decent amount of time thinking about that for some reason because
0: yeah.
1: he's so polarizing. Yeah. But that is not, that's not a bad thing.
0: Yeah. Um, he He's like a, he is a brand, you know? And so, absolutely. and that's where, and so like, is Steve jobs. It, exactly. And it, it, that's one thing I've noticed with you is like, it gives you the power to start sub brands because right. if you, you can associate your face with it, you can transition credibility. Right. Whereas like, let's say you're just a faceless brand. You can't transition credibility because if you start a new brand, it's just a ground zero from the ground up. There's no no transition happening of credibility. Yeah. It's
1: almost like a LinkedIn of like, uh, like company accomplishments. Like, Oh yeah. Like this brand or like, like a musician leaving a band and doing a side project or moving to another, another band. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. I think there's a lot of value in that. If you are willing to engage with community in a way that allows you Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable.
0: Yeah, I think we can dig into that too a little bit more. You're like community engagement profiles. Obviously, it seems like some of the special sauce for what I was outlining in the beginning and how you've sure. been prolific. And can you ta- tell me about like strategies? How how do you think about that? The, com- the community engagement itself?
1: I mean, this is this is where I kind of mean that it gets, it's so like intuitive. Like when you think about community, what does community mean? So the way that you look at community is probably the way your brand is going to handle community.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Unless you have like an oversight committee that's like, uh, no, no, your like warped idea of community is not community. We yeah. need to fix this and you need to keep your mouth shut. Right. Right. Um, and the night, like, again, not to be, not to go on like a negative rant, but like the knife industry, because of the kind of like the variance in like the, The base and like, I don't know, like political, socioeconomic, religious, like what people can perceive as community is very different. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, there was never any plan. Like I want to welcome people
0: into the community. So you just want to make friends.
1: I want to make friends. I want them to make friends. I want to be a positive member in my own community. And I only want people who are positive in mine. Yeah. Right. Uh, Inside of the larger knife community, my goal has always been to essentially be like an ambassador of our industry. Right. So if someone from outside of our industry meets me, I want them to leave with a positive view of the knife industry. Yeah. If I'm speaking to a customer, I want the same thing. If I'm speaking Mm -hmm. to a company, I want them to feel like custom knife makers are good. If I'm speaking to a custom knife maker about companies, I want them to think that the companies are good. Like I look at it from like basically a 100% positivity bias.
0: I, I can totally see that, and I, yep. I do think that's another huge, huge thing that you've brought and that's helped you along the way. And I, I agree with that philosophy completely. I have one question though. Okay, is there a time where the like default to positivity as far as your outward projection conflicts with being authentic? Is there like a time and a place to let out <sighs> some of the more negative feelings in any in any way?
1: Yeah, I, and I guess that. <laughs> This one, this is like, it's like a, it's a tricky question to answer that I have, like I have a a felt answer for, Mm -hmm. which I guess a really easy way to look at this would be like around internet trolls. So, uh, with any level of success will come some level of commentary, especially online. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you can't like, you can't please everybody all the time. It shouldn't be a goal guess what? When you're a human and someone is like super rude and disrespectful to you, it usually has an effect. So the way that I guess I would, I handle those situations and this is, this is learned behavior, right? In the beginning, a lot of times I would like nuke people Mm -hmm. and I would get into a big, I would get into an argument and I would make good points and I would be respectful but it would be very pointed and very aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like I think I have like overall I I have a tendency towards aggression that like as I've gotten older has like mellowed,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: like because of my background it was like words or physical there was some there was a a method of wanting to handle situations. Mm-hmm as I did it more, I realized like, man, I just got like, I just made my point and now I feel completely drained. Mm -hmm. So I was like, they hit me twice. Like one, they came after me and made me feel bad about myself. And then I defended myself and now I feel bad. Yeah. Right. And so basically the tact that I took was like, there's almost a zero zero tolerance policy on social media. Like, if you are disrespectful, you are gone. I just mm-hmm. nuke you from anything that I see your name mm-hmm. in. Okay. Anybody can ask me any question, even if it's like a little bit rude or like pointed. And I am happy to answer questions at the point. It becomes like disrespectful, totally gone.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so it's diffused as opposed to like defend. Yeah. in a yeah. sense. I don't, I just
1: mm-hmm. don't one. I, at this point I don't feel the need to defend myself.
0: Well, and, let me let me add to that because we're talking about internet trolls which is a totally. huge specific part of That's this very but, specific. But another thing is like let's say something negative happens with your brand like let's say a you have a bunch of knives that are QC deficient for some sure. reason and a bunch of pre-orders aren't going to ship. Yep. There's the like you said like the outward positivity by default. Yep. But then there's also the thing of like I'm going to expose the fact that something really bad happened in my business. And yeah, it's like, that is the authentic thing to do would be to say that like, this is what just happened. Yep. Even if maybe there aren't pre-ordered, let's say like, but yep. just exposing, like, I guess being vulnerable from a brand perspective, yep. or is it all positivity in that?
1: front? No, no, no. And not, I don't even mean positivity in presentation. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and I actually have a huge problem with that. Be, like, cause you look at social media and it's like all positive, man. You only see the best mm-hmm. things of everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you want to be a steward and an ambassador of anything that you're doing, I think that showing mistakes and failures is huge, mm-hmm. not only for yourself, but like for people who are like, if anyone is ever going to learn something from me, like, I also need them to see that I make mistakes and have to like yeah. figure that out. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of like, you just don't see it. Yeah. So I think what I mean from the standpoint of positivity is it ties back into community, right? Which is, so say you have that problem and your QC or whatever it is, a bunch of parts fail from a machine shop or whatever it is. Well, if you built a relationship with that machine shop and they're in your community, like, you know, and I know that problems are a given Mm -hmm. it is not, if it is when, okay. Okay. So you are balancing a relationship versus an accident if it's an accident, right? Mm-hmm. How you respond to that problem and how the other company responds to that problem is actually kind of the input as to how you move forward, right? But there's no, there's no, like, there's no reason for like negativity, mm-hmm understanding that problems arise
0: is just the cost of doing business. Yeah. Like an overall outward projection of like onward and upward.
1: Yeah, totally. It's just, you're in, you're in motion. Yeah. I don't have Mm -hmm. time to like dwell on the problem and we're in a small industry. And for me having relationships that are strong is more important than having perfect projects Mm -hmm. because at that point it's purely transactional. I'm just not, I'm just not interested in it. Like i and people have like heard me say this before, but like in the collaborative process, my favorite point of any of the relationships has been our first fight Mm -hmm. because at that point I've seen how the relationship is going to proceed. Mm -hmm. like, You know, I've been in meetings with CRKT where we've started to yell at each other. Mm -hmm. That's scary. That could have been it. That could have been it. If there wasn't like the trust and the value and the relationship, that's the end of the, that's the end of the partnership. Mm -hmm. So you walk away from the table, you, you, you know, get yourself together and then you work it out at that point, you feel secure. So Mm -hmm. I look at it in the same way with customers like I look at it in the same way with suppliers and I look at it in the same way with other brands and other makers. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do not see competition. I never have. I don't see, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I mean, competition, so broad spectrum, I just look at it. I'm like, Hey, this is, we're in a small room. I want to know, I want my people to be successful and happy. And if that is the case, that room, that industry, like we all rise, raise each other up, like rising tide raises all vessels. I think it's just so appropriate for our industry. Oh, for sure. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I agree completely. So we touched on your community outreach, how that's a part, your positive general outward projection, um, the size of your brand and like how that plays into it the, there's, there's other bullet points, but can you think of any other bullet points that are like critical or that people ought to know?
1: I mean, not really. I think one of the reasons we started Burnley brand itself was so that I had room to play because we build, especially if you start building a product that people really like, they assume that that's the product that you make. And when you look at knives, like you see this, like you see makers that are getting ready to retire that are making the same models they've been making. And not that that's a bad thing at all. Like they found the thing that they wanted to make, but I also realized my tendency to do that. And so Burnley brand gave me kind of this experimental kind of format Mm. where I could say, look, I do this, but I'm going to play with this.
0: I would say like you, you mentioned attachment point. It's almost like the unpredictability of your brand is an attachment point itself because it's not, if you're planning, if you make an announcement, like, Hey, I got some cool stuff, got a drop. It's like, I know you really well. And even me, I'm like, I haven't, I I could blow. I I honestly don't know what that's going to be. I really don't. So that that's the unpredictability and the like avoidance of getting into ruts. And like, and that's something that I've had to be, make sure I'm aware of is I, I, like I said, I'm asking a lot of these questions to try to internalize. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I've always thought about is like the process of the product, you know, is what I keep thinking about, but it's like making sure that that doesn't become a rut. You know what I mean? Of like this process is what I'm doing, like you mentioned. And if it's too predictable, is that, am I, am I missing out on an attachment point there? You know?
1: And that comes back to that like personal kind of question, like what's the goal? And w- again, with scale, like you can create, like there's no problem with having like product lines that don't change, right? I've actually, I've got a couple knives that I haven't changed since I designed them, which is always interesting to me because like I like to mess with things,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Um, but I think, okay, so if we talk about, you were asking like just like bullet point kind of things. I think one, one thing for brand building that is really effective is like creating gamification Um, and gamification. And from the standpoint of just like, man, like make it fun. Mm -hmm. Like people, and this will like, this will frustrate people sometimes. Right. Because a lot of people, they just want to come into the brand and they want to buy the thing. Hey, I have money. Give me what I want Mm. with these small brands. Like it doesn't work like that. And so, Doing things like drops, which are heavily streetwear based, right? Like no one from streetwear is ever going to question what a drop is, or mm-hmm. or, and they're not going to question why it sold out in thirty seconds. They are mm-hmm. going like to understand culturally. Oh yeah, there's like a bunch of people that want mm-hmm. this. At least they did this for us to give us mm-hmm. a shot at it. Well,
0: and there's, I think what you're also describing is like the entertainment value totally. of the brand yep. beyond just like the functional cutting a thing performance yeah, value. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that's, this is where, this is where like branding and marketing get nebulous. Okay. These things are authentic to my brand. We've done them. I started doing lotteries because I had seven custom knives at a show mm. and a hundred people standing in front of my table. Yeah. So it's a are it's yeah. necessity. And it's like, mm. I don't want to bum people out. I want people to be stoked when they go to a show and I want to give people a chance. Yeah you can use all of these strategies in like a really manipulative way. If that is your goal. And for me, like if you're going to build a brand around being like disingenuous and manipulative, like figuring out how to tie that into like, you know, community and relationships is going to be really hard. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, But like it's shades of gray, just like any aspect of life. Like, Certain things could be looked at from like a re like, you know, people will think like, Oh, you control your output to like control the market. Like we actually don't have the ability to do that at this point. Mm -hmm. I just make what I make, Mm -hmm. order what I order. And then we like put them up. Sometimes it sells out crazy fast. Sometimes it doesn't, Mm -hmm. but it's not like, there's not some like intentional, like manipulation.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, and I think too that, I think that like, It keeps it honest, which is like very helpful. And it keeps, when I say honest, like I mean for yourself as like a creator, because it's really easy to get in. Like if you're gambling, it's really easy to get in like over your head. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're just like, okay, like, like I know that like for the most part, if we do a drop on our website, we can sell through about 200 pieces of something. Mm -hmm. If I went, all right, I'm going to like figure out how to manipulate the market and then I'm going to drop 500 pieces that that's like actually a huge risk.
0: Yeah. Right? yeah. It's, it's like you're over milking the cow kind of over milking right? the cow. Yeah. 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 Um, so
1: yeah, man, I mean, a lot of this stuff, I feel like it builds like it, it builds on other elements and that it's almost like, like a mission statement without having a mission statement. Like when I look at what my brand kind of incorporates or like what the brand culture is, I'm super happy. There are a lot of areas where I would like to improve it. There's a lot of areas in the brand that I feel really deficient um, or that I could I could be doing a much better job. But that's that question of scale. Like mm-hmm. for me to do this, it's I either have to stop doing something else or I have to hire in to do this thing. And mm-hmm. I'm not at a place where I want to do either of those things. Yeah. The reality, when I look at it, like in the back of my head, like I've got probably three offshoot Burnley brand companies that I think would do really well. I've got entire product lines that I think would do really well and would be super fun. Same with apparel, same with accessories. So for me, when I look at it, sometimes I can get frustrated because that, like what I said, where the outward perception of our brand is bigger. I know that like the c- capability of our brand is bigger. Mm-hmm. It's like a constant balance
0: point. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Man, It's a, it's been great to ask you these questions. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm internalizing a lot. Because like I said, I, I've been kind of attached to so many brands through my career of like yeah, designing yeah. for brands. And now I'm making a lot more of my own stuff. And so a lot of these questions have been rolling around. More so in my head than ever before. So well, it was like a fun,
1: like there's, I have two questions around this. Like you had said, like, I, I do, I fall into like kind of a consulting relationship a lot of times mm-hmm. like with other companies that I work mm-hmm. with. And I'm one super fortunate that a lot of times, like they let me in that close. Uh, and I, and I really enjoy it, but like, I've always wondered, like, do you, like, if you're working with a larger company. What of the tactics that like I actually have could fit into a company culture and then be applied? And do they work the same way? Are they scalable or does it need to start grassroots and then grow into an overarching brand that that's the culture around it? But like for you, you could pick some very specific like elements and be like, all right, I'm just going to like figure out a little bit of gamification. mm mm-hmm. Does it feel right? Do my does my current customer enjoy it? You know, and when I say gamification, I mean like everything from uh, lotteries mm. to to drops to
0: you know giveaways, more, more one off,
1: yeah, yeah. one off stuff. Um, yeah. You know, like what Worksharp did a little with, more exper-
0: was, experimentation.
1: Yeah. yeah, like you know Worksharp is like dropping like geotag boxes of gear. Like that's full mm. gamification. You're getting people who are like okay, this is awesome. There's a box in the woods
0: yeah. and I'm
1: going to go find it. Mm-hmm. That's game. Yeah. That's like prime gamification, right? So that's good info figuring out. It's like, it almost sounds just dumb, but like figuring out where your brand can have fun,
0: mm-hmm. like, yeah. and yeah. where
1: your customers can have fun. Mm-hmm. Cause if you look at it that way, like I like kind of nice for everybody. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If, if nobody's having fun or especially if you're the maker or the the manager of the brand and you're not having fun, it's probably pretty obvious outwardly and the brand doesn't seem fun. Yeah. And it's like, so part of it is, you know, how do you, how do you have fun as a, as a maker and how do you, how do you make, like put yourselves in the shoes of someone maybe looking to buy your product and like, how do you put a smile on their face in a sense?
1: Well, and this is long game, right? This Mm -hmm. is long game. So I feel like there are more younger makers entering the market than, and like you and I are separated by 10 years and we're still younger makers. Mm -hmm. I'm like maybe starting to transition out of that. You are still fully in it. I mean, our industry is older, Mm -hmm. right? But I think that like, if I could give advice around like brand, one of the things would be like, As you're building a brand, like leave yourself flexibility because 20 years in 15 years in things will change. You don't, I don't know what they are. You don't Mm -hmm. know what they are, but if you, if you create a robust system that allows you some like flexibility for like lateral moves I think it's a really good insurance policy. You could Mm -hmm. make the thing on your last day of making that you started making on your first day. That could be your personality and you'd be Mm -hmm. fine. But -hmm. if you're not, you create this little buffer that says today, I want to do this Mm -hmm. and your brand can support you. Yeah. Um, I think we've talked about this a little bit. Like at this point, one of my desires for my brand and one of its main functions is to almost act as a patron for me. Right. Mm. So my brand allows me to be more creative. Mm-hmm. It allows me flexibility yeah. to take on projects that are not profitable to do work that is l- like education based yeah. and like for myself, self-work yeah. kind of yeah. thing. That's that's like pretty cool.
0: And it, it's the, that question of like, do you work for your company or does your company work for you? Yeah. You know, it's kind yeah. of the old litmus test.
1: Yep. Same with money, right? Like yeah. what's the money doing, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. maybe, and maybe that's like the same thing. Like I always say like money's, money's purpose is movement. So like for me, a brand would be kind of the same thing. hmm I've never looked at business from a purely financial standpoint because I realized that I won't make my decisions purely based on financial, uh, questions or answers.
0: Yeah. And it, it allows that fun into the equation. Like you said, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Burnley brand is fun, man. It really is
1: (laughs) trying to make it more fun. It's like, that's, that's where I feel like if I had more, like, I wish I had more capacity because I would love, I would love to be at a point where I'm like, Hey, I have all these ideas and then I have some people who can help me execute. And that's the hard, that's like a hard thing yeah. to do. Yeah. You know, I'm,
0: I can, I can see what you're <laughs> saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Someday. Yeah.
1: I basically want to like, do you know, who you know, who Tom Sachs is
0: <sighs> rings a bell. Okay, maybe uh, he's an
1: artist. Um, I will send you a video. Anybody listening, if you look up um, Tom Sachs, 10 Bullets," it is. If I ever filmed a video for like an employee orientation film, <laughs> this is this is it. It's All so right. spot ten on. bullets. Ten bullets oh, by Tom it. Sachs, but he's just he's just super creative and like he's got a team that works with him he has ideas. He gets to make the things he wants. And then he has a team that's able to like help him with some of the like process Mm -hmm. kind of tasks. And I think that's like pretty common. I mean, like painters have people paint, you know, like, like laying out canvases for them and stuff like that. And it's like, it's a very, it's like a weird thing to look at. But I think that when I see a company, I'm like, yeah, I would love to just be in it. Like, in an R and D lab, it was like when we went to, um, I guess I won't mention the name of company. We went and toured company, and the owner has
0: his own like R and D lab, <laughs> right? That's, awesome. that's like that's awesome. That's fantastic. That's the goal. Yeah, that is my goal. That's a that's a great goal. Yeah,
1: having the old R and D lab, like take the elevator down to the super yeah. secret basement
0: lab, yeah, yeah like right. with yeah. all the good tools. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all great stuff, man. I, I really appreciate you, you know, answering my questions and for sure, I, I guess I didn't really take many notes coming into this, but I just had just some raw interest in, uh, in, in what you were thinking. So is
1: good questions, man. That's fun. It. Cause you and I haven't, we haven't interviewed yeah. anybody, um, yeah. which I think we want to do. We've
0: been talking about, yeah. Getting a guest on here someday. So if you yeah. guys think that'd be cool, or if you have a guest that you'd want to hear from, maybe, maybe drop a line and, yeah. uh, yeah
1: well cool. and it, like if we brought a guest on would we even do it like interview style or would we just integrate them into our conversation a triangle
0: yeah. yeah yeah no that that'd probably be the way to do it yeah it might depend on who it is too just a triangle of radness yeah
1: I that like movie it. keeps coming up in my head um yeah i guess there could be like a comp- there could be like a a component where you have just open conversation but it would be cool to have like specific questions and like interview. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So then that means that I get to interview you on your CAD process in an upcoming episode. That'd be great. Okay. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I actually think there's a lot of parallels.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Funny enough. I agree. I think,
1: I think just from a psychological standpoint, I think you're doing a lot of the same things, which is super
0: helpful actually. To yeah. That, that's going to be fun to dive into that. I look yeah. forward to that. Don't, um, don't uh, yeah. hold back any punches, man. Just okay.
1: I actually, I'm, su- I'm super nervous because I don't, I've never <laughs> interviewed anybody. So it's like, I'm going to write, I'm definitely going to write down some questions, but I'm also like, I'm so scatter minded a lot of times that like, and it's easy to go off the rails, but you're so focused. Yeah. Especially
0: with a facade.
1: You might facade. have to like, you might have to like handhold me be like, ask <laughs> this question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <geez>. um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I'm psyched. Um, anything else going on? Oh, I uh, know one thing we could uh, we could touch on the Nova one.
0: Yeah. So do we are we looking to do you want to do that right now? Or you want to do an episode on that?
1: I think we should definitely do an episode. Okay. Maybe let's do that. Maybe let's try to do that next week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Nova can do one that guys and then roll into cat Burnley's design for my brand, which is Schwartz knives. It's the ball is continuing to roll on that. And we think we're due for an episode that sort of goes on a deep dive of where we're at and what we're trying to do. Future, so. future steps. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I look forward to that. Awesome. And we haven't even hardly talked about it since the last time we talked about it. I mean, a little bit, but we, like I said, we do want to try to capture the actual conversations about what we're going to do with this. Right. And so like, I've been kind of intentionally not asking you yep. too much about it until we get live. Yep. Cause I want people to hear like, this is actually how this is going to occur. Yeah. You know, real time. Yeah. So. I think
1: that's, I think that's, a really good goal. And it like, I mean, basically mimics like the normal production cycle because like we'll submit a, a design and then you don't hear back from a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's then it out. like
1: ramps up towards the end as it's like going into prototyping and you're having mm-hmm. to make like materials decisions. Yeah. Um, so it should be pretty fun, but it cool um, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, please leave us a review. If you feel
0: so inclined, that would be awesome. Yeah. I would love it. And, and uh, cool. Cool keep tagging along we got more to come and uh more. we sure appreciate it yep all right see you around us yeah peace